the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3. Thanks to all of you that have stuck around through a long, a big, a sort of like massive conference championship Saturday with shakeups in the top five, college football playoff implications all the way around. That we just wrapped up our ACC championship game. Congratulations to the Pittsburgh Panthers. Uh, first conference championship, any league since 2010. Uh, first ACC championship ever. And Michigan, oh boy, first big 10 championships since 2004. First outright since 2003. First big 10 championship game win ever uh we've got obviously a lot to get to uh, alabama's win against georgia baylor's uh win against oklahoma state there's so much to unpack right here as we come to you uh live youtube.com slash cover three again if you are subscribed to this podcast by the way and listening to it on sunday morning we are going to have uh, a a brief reaction show we'll be hanging out live and, and we'll be sure to go ahead and get that audio in the feed as well when the college football playoff uh, first releases or finally releases its final rankings. So be sure to keep your eyes peeled to, for that. And if you subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash cover three, smash that bell. That means you get a notification anytime that we go live. Like for example, this show right here, we were scheduled to not go live for another five minutes, but you know what happened? Tom is such a good writer that he finished up all of his big 10 writing and it was all awesome. Well, at least some of it. Might still need to edit some of it, but we'll see. We'll see. We're going to go back in after the show and see what needs to happen. But, hey, Tom, Adam here. I'm going to need another 500 words on Iowa, please. Don't yeah, do that to me. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like the 25 words I put in there about Iowa were 25 more than it deserved for that performance tonight. So I, but uh, point being, thank you. Thank you to Tom. We came early. And if you were subscribed and you've got the notifications, you got the notification to know that we were going uh, five minutes early. Thanks to all of you that are hanging out. So a uh, lot of different places to to pull this apart. I feel like we have to start in Atlanta for the purposes of uh, its impact on all the rest of our conversations, what the college football playoff rankings are going to look like. I want to get to that in a little bit. Uh, what we think of the potential matchups, what matchups, who we think might end up uh, moving ahead. And of course, we're going to continue those conversations for the next month or so. But what with a few hours to be able to let the result process, what are some of the lingering uh, takeaways and headlines that you have from Alabama's win against the Bulldogs? Like I said all week, Alabama's going to kill Georgia. Just like you said. Just like I said. In a year with no quarterbacks, maybe Kirby <laughs> Smart can finally win a national title. Alabama's got a quarterback, and we had him number one on 24-7 sports as a recruit for a reason, I was not convinced he was going to get a lot of time to throw in this game. And I was wrong. Alabama switched up their offensive line. They went with a new center. They kicked Owens right back out to right tackle like they tried for a little bit in the Auburn game. It worked. Georgia did not get home with their four-man rush. Georgia also did not get home with the blitz. I mean, Brian Robinson, hurt and all, is standing in there stoning those, those blitzers. Georgia did not get very good edge pressure. And that allowed Bryce to do what Bryce does, which is just throw dimes all over the field when he has time to throw it. And Georgia's defense so far this year, I'm not going to say they hadn't played anybody. That's not accurate, right? And they had they were absolutely dominant. Like, they were on pace to be a historically great defense and still could be, potentially, although this is uh, that's quite a few points to allow if you're a historically great defense. But 
Georgia had not faced a really good passing attack. And all the analytics guys out there will tell you, hey, defense is not as predictive as offense, right? It, it's it's a little bit less sticky. And Bryce Young stuck it to him tonight. They couldn't cover worth a damn. Did you see Dan Mullen doing the breakdown of how to go up against uh, Georgia's defense? It was on ESPN, and it was hilarious for two reasons. Number one, it was Dan Mullen, and he wasn't using any tape of Florida. <laughs> and number two, the tape that he was using was of Tennessee, which, again, might dictate a little bit more of what we were talking about in terms of the teams that have been able to have success against Georgia and the fact that it was Dan Mullen breaking down Hendon Hooker was the best thing we have for examples of ways that you might be able to test this Georgia pass defense. I'm so glad you mentioned Brian Robinson. Uh, Colin feel like they kept Latu in there as well. I mean, it's just they were going to leave running backs and tight ends in to get chips on any extra rushers. And playing with tempo meant that Georgia, which utilizes that huge amount of depth on the defensive line, if you can't sub them in and out, then guess what? They're not going to be able to utilize that depth. And I think it was on Bryce Young's second touchdown pass. Jordan Davis is just standing up. Mm-hmm. Like he, he didn't even like get a, get down in position. He didn't even get any penetration on the pocket. And that is y'all's Jordan Davis. I love Jordan Davis. He's from Charlotte. He's been fantastic. He's going to be an awesome pro. But um, that was a great piece of game planning. And look, I we can give, uh, I heard on the broadcast, they were given like Doug Marone credit. You know, Bill O'Brien's obviously the offensive coordinator. I'm just going to go ahead and leave it with the GOAT. Who I've been, you know, nobody, everybody was disrespecting the goat, and so uh, I'll, I'll say that this one was a, a little bit more of the the Nick Saban special. But you don't even have to go that far outside of Alabama's own offense to be able to do this. It's not like it's a game plan they weren't capable of or a game plan that they weren't ready for. So I I thought that uh, Alabama's um, methods and approach to limiting what Georgia could do to Bryce Young was very very impressive. I I think there were a few things that were at play here. And I think that obviously, yeah, Bryce Young is the best quarterback Georgia's faced all year. Bryce Young is the best quarterback just about every team would have faced that plays this year. But I I think to me, honestly, the bigger story here is like, I don't feel like Georgia's secondary is bad. I feel like Alabama blocked. And if you give Bryce Young five seconds to find an open receiver and you give Jamison Williams five seconds or any of Alabama's other receivers five seconds to get open, I don't care what defense they're going against. They're going to get open because, I mean, Jamison Williams, like you see his acceleration, like on that one long touchdown, he's going against Georgia, a team filled with NFL players, a very fast defense, a team that flies all over the field, flies to the ball all season long. And he made them look like a JV squad at like a D2 school. He just ran by everybody. Nobody I think figured. that was Smith, the only player to score a touchdown in Clemson, Georgia. Yeah. I think that was yeah. Chris Smith. And he just, they were even. He, posted him. he just burnt them and burnt him to a crisp and got down the sideline and he was gone. It's like if if you're not getting pressure on Bryce Young and you're giving that guy time to get open, good luck. I don't care whether you, who you are in the secondary. So I think that played a huge role. Obviously, Bryce Young has to make the throws. Bryce Young has to see the throws. And Bryce Young did a phenomenal job today. I mean, I think it's safe to say I think he wrapped up the Heisman today. I don't think I, I feel like, you know, people will probably complain that it's just, oh, it's going to be recency bias. But he was the favorite coming into today at every single sports book you looked at. And then after that performance against that defense, I don't see how he's not going to win it. I, I think Bryce, Tom, honestly, probably wrapped it up in the fourth overtime against Auburn unless they just got their doors blown off today. But I I I. I don't love talking scheme a ton on the pod because I feel like we we almost need a, a video element where we could draw some stuff up. But if you look at it, and I'm glad you mentioned the Mullen thing, Chip, because I didn't see that, but I did see some similarities in some of the stuff that Bama was doing to Georgia that Tennessee also did to Georgia. They, they did a lot of stack release stuff out on the outside. It was fairly clear to me that Georgia didn't feel like it could play man-to-man on the back end as much as maybe Kirby Smart would want to. Uh, and they tried to play a lot of their pattern match stuff, which obviously is is not just you know spot drop and zone like they're they're matching patterns and then converting essentially to to man to man. You guys know this. I'm not sure all the comment section does uh, condense. You know, it's basically kind of matchup zone t- type principles. If mm-hmm. you guys w- watch hoops at all, which Chip and Tom probably watch more hoops than I do. So uh, 
they busted a couple uncharacteristically. I'm sure that's Saban recognizing, hey, this is something they don't pass off very well. I taught this guy my defense when we use this formation, this route combo. They don't seem to play it very well. Uh, but I also I – mean, look, guys, Auburn gave them trouble by playing a whole lot of press and blitzing. LSU gave them trouble by playing a whole lot of press and blitzing like crazy. Georgia did not play a lot of press in this game and and, and blitz. It was they, they played a lot of off coverage. Um, I was a little surprised by that. I, I To me, how Georgia played this kind of indicates maybe what Kirby Smart thinks about his secondary. This is an all-timer of a front seven. Are we going to look back and say, hey, that was one of the best secondaries in the SEC in a while? I don't know. It might just be a decent secondary and, and a really, really awesome front seven. And Bryce Young turned that thing into seven on seven. How much credit do you give to Alabama's defense in this performance? Because I thought that in the first half, Georgia was doing a pretty good job of moving the ball, and then it seemed to kind of get away. I don't know. We're, what, there's, I was going to say, there is another side of the ball, and I know that Bryce Young threw for the most yards of any quarterback in SEC uh, history. And the fact that you find yourself in a hole forced Stetson Bennett and this Georgia offense to be in an uncomfortable position. But do you think that there was ever a moment where once Georgia started to fall behind that you thought that the Bulldogs were going to be able to get it done? No. Mm. I mean, it's I don't think Alabama played lights out defensively, but it played well. Like, it, it wasn't a killer performance. I mean, Georgia did have 450 yards. Stetson Bennett threw for 340. But really, the only thing Georgia had consistently was Stetson Bennett to Bowers, like, up the seam. Like, Georgia really wasn't able to get anything anywhere else. The run game, they were held to 3.6 yards per carry. Cook wasn't able to do much of anything. McIntosh couldn't do anything. Zamir White didn't do anything. And Alabama was also able to, you know, kind of uh, bait Stetson Bennett into a couple interceptions that he probably shouldn't have thrown, and that kind of killed drives. I just, I felt like it wasn't, I, I, I feel like maybe the game plan was we're fine giving them this to Bowers if we take away everything else, and that's kind of what they did. And Bowers had a huge game because Bowers is a matchup nightmare for most people, and he's just a tremendous athlete. So he was able to make some plays and, you know, get 10 catches for 139 yards. But there just really wasn't a option B available to the Bulldogs in this game. There was no consistency from them from play to play and drive to drive, and there was nothing they could really rely on and say, okay, this is the play. We we, we can go to this when we need to get a first down or when we need this. There was nothing. There was none of that there for them. So maybe, maybe Cook could chime in there if, if you guys don't remember. When is the last time we discussed, hey, do you think Stetson Bennett is capable – of bringing Georgia back if they're down multiple scores. I think it's probably probably like like a couple weeks ago, but definitely we didn't bring it up after Ohio State lost. Because to me, Ohio State was the one offense, and I, I still have them as the number one offense in my power ratings by by a ton, that was cap- you know really capable of doing this to Georgia. But we got in this situation tonight, and no, I agree with you guys. I, I don't have confidence in Stetson Bennett bringing them back from big deficit. The kid was a walk-on for a reason. I think it's a – they're fine with Stetson Bennett if Bama can't block for Bryce Young. If Bama can block for Bryce Young, Stetson Bennett's not fine. Now, he could beat Alabama. They If they rematch him, Georgia might even be favored again, to be honest. I don't know if the power ratings are going to swing that much. They might. But down multiple scores, this kind of game script opportunity, he doesn't make a whole lot of special plays, and he does – for all this taking care of the ball narrative, make some bad ones. But you know, I don't, I don't put this on Bennett though. I thought, cons- all things considered, he played pretty well. Me, I, one thing that stood out to me, and it's hard really when you're watching on TV because you don't get the full picture. But like we, what I was talking about earlier, like with Alabama, when Bryce Young had time, his guys got open. I felt like when Stetson Bennett did have time in the pocket. He was standing there waiting for people to get open who were not getting open nearly as often as Alabama's receivers. And I think that kind of forced him to have to make some throws he didn't really want to make or maybe just scramble. But I feel like that's one of the things that George is lacking, too. Like we talked about it all year without George Pickens and Pickens was back today and he was back last week, but he's clearly not up to full speed yet. And they don't really have that kind of game breaking receiver like a Jamison Williams type. And I think that hinders them just as much as having Bennett and not having Bryce Young does. 
Tom, I, I agree with you on that. I was I was surprised at, at how often Stetson Bennett was turning to the sideline and be like, ah, like, like, like he was. It was like they were confused. I, mm-hmm. I, I do think that Bama kind of outcoached him today, right? And, and and came up with answers that, that Georgia Georgia couldn't match. Uh, it's one game though. Right? Yeah, I was going to say. So, what's the overreaction? Like, is well, is according to Danny, Georgia shouldn't even be in the playoff because oh. they've sucked all season long. That text thread tonight was loud. <laughs> no, it's me. Me and Danny were arguing in the text thread, but we were just both trolling each other. Yes. No. You, <laughs> Tom. Tom had his troll gun loaded. He was. He was. Oh, Danny's was loaded too. Yeah, well, I mean, always, but you know. We, we were talking about Notre Dame, and then we had to take it over to to Georgia. But I, I wonder that in the in the Georgia fan base, and I haven't dipped my toe in to see you know how the feels are. But in the SEC world, like, does this fall at Kirby Smart's feet? Like, what does this do for Dan Lanning? And I think the most important thing, because those are all just sort of like intangible, feely, emotional things, except for maybe Dan Lanning's candidacy for other coaching jobs, depending on how things go in the next you know couple weeks. But we have to make some kind of adjustment to the way that we talk about Georgia as Georgia and push back if you want as Georgia moves ahead to the college football playoff. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. so as we move Georgia forward, what is what does that adjustment look like? Like what what do we look at Georgia as now that the Bulldogs have taken their first loss of the season? The, well, the second best team in the country. <laughs> Maybe still the best. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think this game has some like signature significance, right? To, to, to where now that you've seen the matchup, this is an elite offense, the only one that Georgia's faced, and Georgia had more problems with this than, than it had in like every other game combined, which is not entirely surprising. I, I am surprised that Bama beat them down like they did. Um, if they do rematch, which is certainly possible, I think you'll have to see Georgia take more chances on defense, try to get more hands on guys early. I don't think they rerouted guys tonight very well. Um, James Williams is a really good player, mm-hmm. but he's not a real physical guy off the line of scrimmage, right? He, he's he's kind of skinny. Um, now, not the on, most on, polished on punt coverage, either. he's great. Yeah. Right. Like, like He's a guy that wants to get in that route and build that speed up. Auburn got hands on him. You know, LSU put hands on the guy. Georgia didn't do that very well. And that is part of why they lost tonight. I think you'll have to see them try to play a little more press stuff in the rematch and and live with the consequences. The consequences might be explosive plays allowed. Uh, checking my box score here, it appears that there were some explosive plays allowed tonight already. So I think you'll just you, you'll deal with that consequence. Do you think that they fall? Um, okay, so is when the new college football playoff rankings come out on Sunday the final college football playoff rankings because the committee doesn't come back after the bowl season on the, the AP and the coaches do. So do you think that Alabama and Georgia will be positioned uh, so that there is not a rematch in the semifinals? Yeah, but I don't think it's going to be to avoid a rematch in the semifinals. I think it's going to be because they're not going to knock Georgia down to number four for losing to Alabama. Right, it's a two or three debate with Michigan, and honestly, mm-hmm. it's it so matter. funny because yeah. it doesn't matter. Because even when it comes to the selection of the semifinal location, number one gets first pick, so number two is going to wherever number one doesn't go. Uh, mm-hmm. Cotton Bowl and Miami. Last time, Alabama, I think, picked Miami. I could be wrong about that. I couldn't remember. It was Alabama, Oklahoma, and the Orange Bowl. It was Clemson and Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. Maybe Clemson uh, picked the Cotton Bowl. Anyway, that's that's how that will go. Whoever is number one, and I think it's Alabama. Yeah. I, Michigan has a chance to be number one, but I don't think they're going to do it. If they put Michigan number one, they'll just put Georgia four. And that's why I don't think Michigan will be number one. <laughs> I tend to agree. The one thing the committee is consistent in, though, and it's not consistent in much, is it can make up whatever the hell it wants on, on the final weekend. That's why you don't get actual concrete answers from week to week for the contrived TV product that, that ESPN buys when it bought the playoff, right? They don't want to put any sort of precedent out there that they later have to follow. So 
like I would bet, I would bet on it, sure that that Bama and Georgia will not rematch in the semifinal. Am I one hundred percent confident Bama's won? No, but if they're not, then it'll be Georgia one, or excuse me, Georgia four, Michigan one. Do Do we want to put our CFP and on hats on though? Yeah, let's do it. If the committee and the college football playoff wants to absolutely maximize, you know, maybe ratings and revenues, maybe they want to guarantee an Alabama Georgia rematch, and they can only guarantee that by making it a semifinal. So they move Michigan to number one, put Alabama Georgia at two and three to guarantee that they'll play either in Miami or in Arlington, and then you also increase the odds of Michigan getting to play two playoff games and therefore bringing those television ratings to your tele, your college football playoff games. Just, okay, so uh, pass pass me uh, the talking stick at our ritual, and I'll put on my uh, my big initiation hood, and I'll tell you that if we're really going to do our good marketing here. here at CFP and on, <laughs> we're going to have this Cincinnati team, and we're going to pit them against Alabama. Like there is nothing that we're going to be able to sell for David and Goliath better than Alabama against this first ever group of five team in the college football playoff. Like I think Alabama against Cincinnati is exactly what you sell to the normies to get them to watch a game on December 31st. Mm -hmm. The way that you get this game on at new year's Eve parties is by having it be something so simple. Hey, group of five teams never made the college football playoff. This is it. Oh, that's cool. Who are they playing? Alabama, like that is exactly the Hollywood movie that's going to get all the basics. It's going to get all the normies. Anybody who does not watch college football, people who aren't even sports fans might be able to sign up for that because remember these college football playoff semifinals are going to be on New Year's Eve. That's what I, as I saw the pieces coming together, I was like, ooh, Alabama to one, Cincinnati stays at four, Georgia, Michigan, two, three, Flip them however you want. Make whatever argument that you want. It's just going to be, you know, coin toss, sidelines, hotels, and jerseys. Yeah, I, I do feel like whatever matchups they they go with, you're probably going to set ratings records just because Michigan's in there now. And I, I don't, I don't think you should overlook the juggernaut that is that fan base. Also, uh, Georgia, Michigan. If we can guarantee that, that means I get my standard definition game that I want so badly. <laughs> Two old school ass teams just trying to run the football and win at the line of scrimmage. Let's go! All right, so is it? That's it, right? I mean, we we do we even give Notre Dame the no. time? Do we no. even give Baylor the opportunity to come and say anything? Okay. No, I mean, well, no. those are the four. Yeah, Notre Dame has no shot because how can you argue Notre Dame deserves to be in over Cincinnati right now, and then Baylor with two losses. Just they've got a better resume, I think, overall with bigger wins. But again, two losses, and one of them was to TCU. It's like it's one of those situations where if if Baylor's two losses had been like one point losses to top ten teams, maybe. Agreed. Uh, sorry, I lost my concentration. Uh, Ito in the chat just said, "Set the VCR for Georgia, Michigan," <laughs> and I couldn't help but remember <laughs> that at my parents' house, there's an entire shelf of sporting events. That I recorded on VCR, <laughs> I mean on VHS tapes on the VCR, just so that I could go back and watch them over and over and over again. Takes me back to the days of recording stuff while I was at work, and then telling, making sure that nobody spoiled stuff for me because I gotta go home. I've got the VCR set to record the Bulls game. Oh yeah, you set the timer on the VCR, <laughs> and you better hope it's not like daylight savings time or the clock's off. These, oh man, that's these, that's a lot. <laughs> these kids today don't know the struggle. Um, okay, let's before we uh, before we hit the break, let's let's talk about Cincinnati while we're on it. I a, a worthy playoff team. Um, I thought that Luke Fickle said it well when he said that that twenty one zero run. He said like coming out of halftime, it was in the third quarter. The game was fourteen thirteen, and in the third quarter, the defense totally stuffed out a lot of what uh, Houston was able to do. Dana Holgerson had a good game plan. They brought in like a lot of multiple looks. They were doing some sort of like dinking and dunking. Uh, very, very unique uh, sort of approach to the way that they were attacking it. Cincinnati adjusted well. The offense started cooking. And I I thought that was cool to hear Luke Fickle be like, that. that's what we're capable of. And for him to say that in that moment, I thought that what he was hinting was 
if we can play our third quarter for four quarters, then we can hang with one of these college football playoff, other college football playoff teams and go compete for a national championship. I think if we get Luke Fickle on this podcast and he's really feeling himself and he, he gives us a little bit of honesty, he'd be like, we did not play well enough today to be able to win a college football playoff game. But I think that in that third quarter, if distilled, you got the very best of Cincinnati football. And so um, I'm, I'm curious to see, obviously, how the Bearcats perform. But, you know, best first, most deserving, the debate that is ongoing, there's no question that they are deserving. And I think that Cincinnati, at its best, has shown an argument to be able to be considered one of the four best because those other teams that you would put up against Cincinnati have the similar problem as Cincinnati, which is to say, well, yeah, if you take this little piece of this game and this piece of this game and put them all together, then we're one of the four best teams in the country. There's just, there aren't a lot of other teams that are going to be able to um, be in that best argument with Cincinnati, but then also have the deserving. Did Luke Fickle mention the pass interference that turned this game around? That was in the first half. No, it wasn't. Oh, it was in the third quarter. It was in the third quarter. It was, I'm not saying it changed the outcome because I still think Cincinnati wins, but it was a 14 to 13 game, third quarter, Cincinnati's first possession. And it was a fourth and two. They were inside the red zone. Raider, I can't remember who the receiver was, but the pass was behind the receiver, which caused the receiver to reach back to get the ball. And when he reached back, it caused Marcus Jones, who was covering him, to contact him. They called pass interference. It was a terrible call. I can't remember who ABC's ref is that they have in the booth, but he said it was a bad call. The very next play, Cincinnati scores a touchdown to go up 21-13. to 13. A few plays later, Clayton Toon's throwing an interception. Cincinnati's going up 28-13, to 13, and then it just snowballed from there. So, again, I still think Cincinnati wins the game, but that bogus pass interference completely tilted the game on its head. It, it reminded me a little bit of the targeting call that Cincinnati was the beneficiary of against Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. Indiana, mm-hmm. A, 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 what, two-win Indiana team this year? Uh, was out playing Cincinnati uh, to that point, gets the targeting call. And to the Bearcats' credit, they, they really seem to be a team that feeds on emotion, and they're able to go ahead and, and snowball teams. They did sack Clayton Toon eight times tonight. So that's pretty damn impressive. Um, I, I I thought Houston's plan of running the ball as much as they did was interesting. Did they think they would have success running the ball that much, or did they think perhaps that, it would just limit the number of times Tune had to drop back. They probably thought they couldn't block Cincinnati. Uh, to me, that that was fairly interesting. I There's some things about this team I really like. Assuming they play Bama, we'll get into this more. Uh, did, I don't know, do, do we want to give away the talking points, or do we think other pods are going to steal our stuff? I, I, I've been thinking about this. I, I, had to write up my, I had to write up my previews before this Get show. them out there now. Get them out there now. All right, so you want to know a team that can play press man? Cincinnati? Yeah, exactly. Like, now, can they block Alabama? No idea. <laughs> Leaning? No. But we'll see. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about their lack of down-to-down consistency tonight. In the run game, Jerome Ford had 121 yards on two carries, and he had 60, 65 yards on 16 other carries, mm-hmm. which is not horrendous, but against Houston, Houston does have a good D-line. Like legitimately, they, they got some guys on the D line who could be pros. Ritter had a pretty nice game. This is a good football team. You know, I you'd put them up a neutral side against against Baylor. I'm gonna take Sensei. They already beat Notre Dame. I mean, there's not a lot of great teams this year. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's made it's, for a fun season. Yeah, it's made for a very, very fun season. Like, is there some um, you know, the the effect of you know, you go from having uh, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence in a college football playoff to now all of a sudden it's, you know, Bryce Young, Cade McNamara, Stetson Bennett, and Desmond Ritter. Yeah, that's a little disorienting. But it's uh, it doesn't mean that they are uh, – we, we judge these college football teams against each other within one season. We don't judge them necessarily from year to year, at least for these conversations that we are having in the season. I do want to go back to, uh, to May 6th, though. May 6th on that episode, Tom did, for show bad purposes, give Danny and me both 100 to 1 that Cincinnati would make the playoff. Uh, so it was a dollar bet. It so was a dollar bet. I think $100. Uh, I've looked through our old show bets here. 
So you can have a hundred dollars, bud, or you could have a sports line subscription. <laughs> Are we giving those away tonight? We have enough people. Uh, we've got we 152 likes. We could use, I'd say, if we get to about 500, we can. Yeah, for sure, without a doubt. As ask, ask forgiveness, not permission. If we get to mm -hmm. 500 likes, we're giving away some sports line subs. Smash that like button. And in fact, you know what we'll do? Uh, while y'all are making sure that you get on over and smashing that like button so we can give out some sports line subscriptions, we'll get into more of the rest of conference championship Saturday. Baylor winning by inches against Oklahoma State uh, out in the Pac-12 on Friday. A very disappointing performance for Oregon. Some of the headlines that are coming out from some of these games and more next the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So the, uh, the Big 12 game was so, uh, feels like it was a year ago, but it, it was very fun. It wasn't an awesome game. You know, I didn't, but I thought that uh, clearly the finish was fantastic. Uh, heartbreaking, just like kicking the gut for Oklahoma State. Uh, 97 yards, but then you come up just a couple inches short, right? Wasn't it they took about half the fourth quarter they marched basically the entire field. And look, there is a, a, a lot of, I mean, it's miss the coach graders here. It does it just all come back to Gundy for y'all. How so play not calling fair. it play calling and scoring position throughout the entire game, not just at the very end, but also kicking all those field goals all the way uh, along the way. Uh, I mean, I hated the one field goal. But I, I just think that, like, it's a one-dimensional offense against a good defense that just, when they got inside the five, was able to take that dimension away and was like, all right, Spencer Sanders, let's see what you've got, buddy. Let's see if you can make a throw. And Spencer Sanders didn't make the throw. But it's, uh, I don't... I don't really blame Gundy as much as I just blame the players for not executing. Cause like you get the ball that many times inside the five yard line and you don't score to me. That's like, what, what play could he have called that would have been a touchdown that he didn't call. So I guess one of them was a bad snap. Yeah. I blame Gundy for not 
figuring out a way to either develop Spencer Sanders or get a different quarterback. Because but not within should... the context of this game. I mean, that's just like right. large, yeah. larger mm-hmm. scale program building, evaluation, and development stuff. You you can probably argue with the field goal earlier, by the way, if you want, right? Knowing that you are going to need a touchdown to win this game, having two shots to go for it there, I, I think that's something I might argue with. I think it's kind of coin flippy, so I'm, I'm not going to roast Gundy for that. Like, they had a really good season. I didn't have high expectations for them going into this game because I don't think Spencer Sanders is any good. Like, literally, my analysis was, quote, oh, yeah, we need some analysis. Spencer Sanders is bad in picking the under. And he was almost so freaking bad, I almost lost the under because of how – I mean, he threw 46 times for 257 yards. So, all right. The, I worst, also think Jalen Warren's Baylor's backup, right? right? Yeah, Jalen Warren's injury was definitely a factor, but I, I also think too, like, I get from the math perspective why you would criticize him for it too, like, when especially that twenty yarder in the fourth quarter, eight minutes left instead of twenty one to thirteen, it's twenty one to sixteen. But I also get it because what did Baylor's offense do? Like right. Baylor's three touchdown drives were three plays, eleven yards; three plays, thirty-seven yards; nine plays, forty-seven yards. He kicked that field goal to cut it to a five-point game, knowing that he was probably going to get the ball back, and it did. He did get the ball back, and they were in position to win the game. So I don't feel like it's really on him. I think the decision worked out. It just they didn't finish. No, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree at all, Tom. Um, I mean, Oklahoma State's best, best offensive play tonight was punting the ball and having Baylor fumble it. Mm-hmm. That was Oklahoma State's best offensive yeah. Ball. yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I did think that Baylor, like, while Baylor got that early lead and just sat on it, you know, the rest of the way, I do think that Baylor offensively at least, and I don't have the box score pulled up right now, but, like, at least as I was watching it, my observations and my notes were – um taking note of Baylor having a good game plan for going up against a good Oklahoma state defense. And you're right. They did get short fields, but they also finished them in the end zone and they like still found ways to be able to get in there and score. I thought that Baylor offensively had a pretty good game plan here. No. Ooh. I mean, here's the thing, like Baylor owes Oklahoma state, like a bouquet of roses because Oklahoma state's failures inside the red zone today completely mask the fact that Baylor had 242 yards of offense in this game. <laughs> Oklahoma State outgained it by nearly 100 yards. Not And Oklahoma State didn't have a great day. Like, the Bears averaged four yards per play. They had those short touchdown drives, thanks to short fields, but then didn't do anything. It's like the game plan was, to me, was like, okay, they scored when they had short fields, but they didn't really do anything on offense that made me say, ooh, wow, they really know what they're doing here. Most of the time, they were just getting stuffed and punting the ball back. The position football, baby. Yeah, well, that's that's I tweeted it today. Like the greatest, most under under discussed aspect of this season is the Big 12 in its entirety just morphing into the Big 10 West this year. Because it's the same thing. It's all except for Oklahoma. Everybody's playing complimentary football. We're going to play field position and try to win games twenty-one to seventeen. Yeah, it's a bunch of def- like the defensive coordinator. Like Baylor lo- looked like a defensive coordinator head coach in the second half. It did. In fairness, their QB started making some really like I don't know about this decision. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like Blake shape. He, <laughs> he completed like his first eight passes, and I feel like that was the worst thing that could happen to Baylor because he got into a mode where he was like, "I'm gonna, I can make every single damn play out here. I just need to dance around a couple extra seconds, and I'll make this play." That must have been when I wrote that note down, where I was like, "Man, Jeff Grimes has done a hell of a job with this freshman quarterback, who's just an old baseball player, is figuring it out and just getting it done." But clearly, there's a there's three more quarters where I wasn't taking notes on Baylor not scoring in the second half. The chat is pretty lit tonight, by the way. I like I like you guys are not laughing at some of this. Um, th- this is this is pretty solid. We we, we love y'all. Um, did you guys like going for going for fourth and one on your own thirty six? No, I uh, not in this game with these teams. I mean, I I feel like if you were playing Oklahoma. Yeah, I would go for it in that spot. But against this Oklahoma State offense, the, I would have just punted and be like, go ahead, drive down the field. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. Dave, Dave Aranda seems like he's someone who's stuck in, stuck in the chart. Right. I think he said after the game, I, I love Dave Aranda. He, he took all the blame for it. He says, yeah, he was just going, he went, he's give like a five minute answer on the question. All of which was like, you know, well thought out on the moment. And then at the end he goes, eh, my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's, that was my sense too. I was like, I think, I think he just said that he just looked at the chart and the chart said, do it because they've, they, they've done it all year. Right. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. The fourth down decision-making has been a total flip in 2021 than it was in 2020. Yeah. They've been a very aggressive fourth down team. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not gonna, uh, I, I feel like that's the, you know, the, the give and take that you're going to get with those kinds of decisions. Uh, anything else from Dallas that, uh, that really stood out my prediction, I guess, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter ultimately, but I would guess that Baylor comes in ahead of Ohio state behind Notre Dame. In the playoff rankings, yeah, yeah, maybe. I'm I'm not gonna lie, guys, because I don't. I'm not on the Tuesday night show. I don't pay any attention to like 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 to, to who who is anywhere in these rankings. I, I care about like my power ratings, and I care like when my power ratings are really off from y'all's because I feel like I'm missing something. But like, I have no idea. I I probably couldn't name like if you said Bud name name the spots. I don't know. Eight well, through twenty-five. I, I'm no, probably only getting like twelve of the seventeen, maybe eleven of them. Do your power ratings have records beside them? No. Or do you just? Oh, yeah, they just have the numbers. Yeah, because you're just ignoring the records, like a smart right. person. Well, the selection committee. I love how smart is, it was, but yeah, it's very concentrated <laughs> on the records and does that self-sorting thing, which is like, okay, you know, all all of these one-loss teams, they they deserve to go together. Then there's all of these two-loss teams, and so my ahead of Ohio State behind Notre Dame is to suggest that Baylor's going to make a significant jump on the back of avenging its regular season loss to Oklahoma State winning a conference championship and in doing so having a leg up on Ohio state among the two lost teams, but yet falling short of surpassing Notre Dame, which is not obviously the lowest ranked one loss team, but of those one loss teams that are up near the top will not be finishing in the top four. I think okay. it could be ahead of Notre Dame. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let, two questions then for y'all. Will this playoff ranking impact where these teams go to bowls at all? Like, is there an at-large bid at, at uh, mm-hmm. obviously for Baylor, they're locked in, right? Because they, they're, they yeah, they're, going, well. the they're going to the sugar bowl, but no, the rankings do impact who gets those new year six bids at large. It's like Ohio state's going to the Rose bowl. Cause it'll be ranked higher than Iowa. Okay. Right. Do you want, you want Ohio state if you're the Rose bowl, even though you yes. think some of these guys are going to opt out yes. because Ohio state is still like has a bunch of guys who will be back next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, who cares who's on the field? It's Ohio also, state. I can't remember the last time Ohio State was in the Rose Bowl, so fans might actually travel to this, even if it's somewhat of a letdown. Um, when was the last time? It's been Washington? a while. Give, is it, does Ohio State-Washington sound right? No, I think it was against Oregon the last time they were there. Ohio, It would be Ohio State-Utah. That's a pretty fun game. Who was, were you two rooting for like Utah-Iowa? Because I saw some people were, and that would... like. That would have been an awful game, and Utah would have won by 30. Like, did you see what Utah did to Oregon? What do you think I was going to do against it? I wasn't rooting for Iowa. <laughs> Just yeah, full stop. Oh, oh, no, Ohio State was there three years ago. Duh, against Washington. You're right, Chip. My bad. Um, what about uh, what about Michigan-Iowa? You, you live-blogged that game. What'd you... Thoughts? I'm glad it's over. I mean that that was just an awful game. Like I, it was great for Michigan. If you're a Michigan fan, you loved it. But even that, like it's forty-two to three final score. But Michigan had the sixty-seven yard Blake Corum run, which was awesome because JJ McCarthy was in at QB, and then he somehow got downfield and actually passed Blake Corum while trying to throw a block, which I did not realize JJ McCarthy had that kind of speed because Blake Corum is not a slow man. And then there was the 75-yard touchdown. So they went up 14 to nothing. And then like the game was over. Like it was, it was done. It was a wrap. There was no way Iowa was going to be able to come back from that deficit. And the Michigan kind of just went to sleep for a quarter. And then it opened at the second half with a long touchdown drive to really put the game away. And then it got three like cosmetic touchdowns in the fourth quarter. It was Iowa never threatened to do anything. Iowa 
they, they started with a long drive to open the game, got into the red zone, missed a field goal. Did it again, got the field goal. Did it again, turned it over on downs. I think they ran about 24 plays in Michigan territory tonight and scored three points. Michigan scored more points for Michigan territory today than Iowa did. Just give you an idea how this game was. Uh, the Hawkeyes finished with 279 yards of offense. Spencer Petras started. He was 9 of 22 for 137 yards before being replaced by Alex Padilla, who really lit things up for the Hawkeyes, going 10 of 15 for 38 yards. <laughs> God. It was, it was a terrible game. Can, I'm ha- can we remember I'm- this? Whoever the team is next year, who is complete and total obvious bullshit, <laughs> The second week of October, and all the haters in the chat are like, why aren't you giving this team any respect? We have eyes, and we have numbers. They were coin flipasaurus Rex all year, right? And they they came out on the right side of them, and Penn State's quarterback gets hurt in that game. Otherwise, they're probably not in this game. And they have a really nice defense. It's like a top five, top ten type defense. And they have an offense that, thank God for them, that, that Northwestern's in that division, because otherwise... They'd probably be getting a lot more heat for, for like that offense is just not functional in any way. Like they they just they choose to run something out of like 1994, and then they don't run it well at all. And it looks it looks like garbage because it is. So just store that away, guys. Something like I it's not gonna happen, or at least I really doubt it'll happen. But Kirk Ferent should maybe look and see like Jim Harbaugh overhauls his staff, hmm. wins the Big Ten. Brian Taylor, Kelly takes up yoga. Brian Kelly takes up yoga, gets the LSU job. But no, and then Dave Aranda completely overhauls his philosophy on offense, brings in a new OC, opens things up, wins the Big 12. There is so much about Iowa that is good. The defense is very good. The special teams are outstanding. If they just had an average offense, if they can go 10 and 3 like this, scoring 20 points per game, what could they do if they were able to score 30? Did you see um, the introspective comment from Dave Aranda when he was talking about how we needed to take down our guard and open up to each other in order to really move forward? And he like talked all this stuff. He was like, and then we've got to give that message to the kids. And I was like, oh, you were just talking about the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just subbed Larry Fedora on national television. <laughs> um to your point about coin flipasaurus Rex and, and sort of the nature of this team, I my my brain is fried. I apologize if I totally missed the mark on this and go way too far back and, and there's better examples. But I was like, what is the ceiling for a coin flipasaurus Rex for one of these teams that has a really good defense, but it's just never going to threaten? Is it unfair to throw the 12 Notre Dame team out there and say that's the ceiling? That like you can win each of these specific games and then yeah eventually it's going to get exposed as as it was against Alabama in the BCS National Championship game but that was that was to me the best and I say like best as in most successful example of this type of team that we're talking about flagging and trying to be on the lookout for moving forward I mean that team had a better offense than this Iowa team but yeah I I think that I mean like I just said Iowa got to the Big 10 championship doing this I I one, think one ten games yeah, when you play this style, you could beat teams that are on your level or that you're better than. But you can do all that, and then when you get to your conference title game and you play an elite team, you lose by 39 points, and the gap between you and the elite becomes evident to you. Can we talk the balls with just how many people we have in this chat? Like, Can we do two minutes on the balls? I got a little something for them. Sure. Who did uh, who did Josh Heupel start at quarterback to start the year? Joe Milton. <laughs> Joe, Milton. Joe Milton. Yeah. Joe he, did, he didn't sign Hendon Hooker, right? That, that was a Jeremy Pruitt guy. Pruitt Pru- mm-hmm. recruited him. And it took a Milton injury for them to figure out who the like really good NFL-bound quarterback was and who the guy really cannot like keep the ball on the planet was. And they have a recruiting class that's ranked – 21st nationally, kind of on volume. They have three four-star commits, none in the top 100 right now. 
So forgive me if I'm not exactly on the Tennessee train. Like I'm not really seeing the future roster building, and I'm a little bit suspect on some of the personnel decisions here. Now, they eventually got them right by default because of injury. Love you, Tennessee fans. We'll see how this works out. They do <laughs> score a lot of points, and they will sell some tickets. <laughs> Pete so Helms, you can hear the fear in Bud's voice. <laughs> I mean, the falls are back. Um can, so does that mean you are not endorsing Josh Heupel for the Oklahoma job? I think it would be hilarious, but no. Yeah. Um, the Dave Aranda, though. You think? I think it would be interesting. I think he's a pretty good coach. I feel like at this point, if Dave Aranda is going to leave for another Power 5 job, it would be on the West UCLA. Coast. UCLA. Yeah. yeah. Like, Y'all already Mar- moved. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, let's see. Is there anything else from the game? Do you want to talk about like Pitt or Kenny Pickett being awesome or anything like that? Because we're are we already moving Mario to Miami, Chip back to Eugene, to Oregon, and yeah. then Aranda to UCLA. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, that's how this that's how this coaching carousel goes. I will talk about Kenny Pickett for a minute though, because shout out to Kenny Pickett for being the first quarterback to like go James Harden on us all and work the fake slide into a run because he's like on that long touchdown run, he feigned that he was going to slide. So the Wake Forest defenders just completely stopped because they're like, oh my God, we're going to touch a quarterback and they're going to throw us in prison if we do it. And then he just kept going. (laughs) It was brilliant. I don't think he meant to. I want to believe he did. There was a he his conversation with Mark Whipple on the sideline after the game suggested that maybe he was instructed to do one thing and he just went YOLO ACC championship game. He was like, uh uh-uh, uh, I've been here once before and I didn't get to see the end zone, but once it was 42 to 10 in 2018 when Clemson uh, beat Pitt in the ACC championship game. He was like, I am punching this sucker in. I liked it. I'd also like to shout out both Wake and Pitt for playing like gentlemen late in the second half after like what a 35 point first quarter, bringing that under home and giving me the lock fight win over Danny because I desperately needed a lock fight win over Danny or else he might have actually caught me. I would like to shout out uh, live lines 97 and a half being yeah. dealt in this game <laughs> as Kenny Pickett goes to the injury tent for the second time in as many series. Like, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much on that. Also, a negative shout-out to Wake minus four and a half. Uh, had to take a piece of that with Kansi going off the field and, and Pickett going to the injury tent and figured it might be my last time to get them under a touchdown, and that, that burned me there. Oh, so you went Wake minus four and a half live. The second time that, that Pickett went to the injury tent, I was like, well, if he's got to go back in there, that ain't great. I, I have a – I have a, well, okay, people always ask us, like, hey, you're gambling stuff. I have a tweet deck column with the specific term injury tent. Because a lot of times the beat writers will tweet about it before the broadcast picks up on it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when, what's the name of the Houston def- defensive lineman that got hurt? Jones, right? Uh, yeah, no, not Marcus Jones. It was um, oh whatever, whoever it was. When when he left the game, Cincinnati, I think it was minus seven and a half. I jumped on Cincinnati minus seven and a half, and that was shortly before everything kind of just completely snowballed. So shout out to that live bet. Here's here's all these tips for next college football season, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that uh, congratulations to UTSA. It's a really good season. That was an awesome uh, Conference USA championship game. Uh, Northern Illinois doing just some niu type stuff man just like hey what i mean i was way off obviously on the sec title game but i feel like the biggest surprise like alabama beating georgia is not going to shock you even if you don't think it's coming the way niu played in that game to beat kent state today that was very much a surprise to me so shout out to the huskies because man that was it's a hell of a season and a hell of a turnaround because they were really bad last year what what the hell? I, I didn't get to watch it. I, I was watching the box score. What what in the hell happened with this? NIU cared way more, and then Kent State was like, "Oh, you guys care so much. This stinks." And like 
a quarter and a half into the game, it looked like one team was really pumped to be there, and the other team was like, oh, man. Also, Dustin Crumb just didn't look sharp. No, no, no. Yeah, the, all of like Kent State offense. could have said that a lot of this year. Yeah. It was, uh, was kind of you know, a little bit shaky. But, I mean, Northern Illinois played good defense, right? Like, they, mm-hmm. they came out. Better they than got, they usually do, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> got stops, ran the ball pretty well. Um, yeah, it was just one of those – because you can sense it almost more when the stadium's not filled, especially when they're playing in Ford Field, and you can hear the sounds. <laughs> like, the mics are going to be picking up a lot more of the vibe on, on the sidelines and on the field in those games. And it just – it's like NIU was just – dialed ready to go and and Kent State found itself uh found itself behind a little bit early. Just- also Kent Kent State like on their first possession had like a 75 yard touchdown on like their second play but it came, it came back on an illegal man downfield and it just felt like they were like oh this sucks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was just yeah it was kind of a deflating moment for them. Um, I do think USC might be on quit watch here by the way. Cool. They they, they they just they just failed to recover a fumbled punt. Like Good. watched it go bouncing by. Oh hey, how's it going? Well, it wasn't like they put no effort into it, but it was just like they that was their chance, and then you know, uh, I did not get to watch much of Louisiana App State. Tommy. I had it. I had it on the third screen, so it was getting like the during commercial breaks treatment. But from what I could see, like. I'm surprised the final score was that close because like every single play I saw, I felt like Louisiana was the better team, <laughs> but the score never really reflected that. It's kind they of that a lot though. Yeah, I was going to say that was kind of Louisiana's That's, MO. Yeah. When, when, when we shot the little instant reaction video to Napier, I was like, I'm very confident he recruit. Well, I'm a Florida fan. My only real reservation here is, I mean, aside from like first time at a big job as a head coach, is it, Given they had like a million super seniors and they've out recruited the rest of the conference, you would think they would blow more teams out. And yet they play a whole lot of single score games. Um, it's going to be interesting to me to see what that offense looks like because it's like, I obviously Levi Lewis is a very good fit for what Louisiana was doing in the Sun Belt. And maybe like you look at Anthony Richardson, maybe that's a kind of guy who could excel. It's just, is that style of offense really going to work consistently in the SEC or is this just more of a circumstance that he was dealing with and so that's what he went with Chase Price 12 of 30 for a buck 19 that is uh, without the turnovers Spencer Sanders-esque mm-hmm. I still can't oh. believe Louisiana I mean I under, like even my power ratings have App State ranked higher than the Cajuns but I still can't believe the Cajuns weren't favored in that game Got their number. Uh, shout out to Blake Anderson in Utah State. Most amount of points anybody scored on San Diego State this year, 46 of them. Mm-hmm. 46 of 13 in the Mountain West Championship game. Spoiling the under with that late touchdown, too, which I did not appreciate, but shout out to the Yankees because, no, that was a butt kick. And, like, San Diego, like, they they killed the punk god. The punk god was mortal. They blocked two of his punts. Mm. Every, all y'all's uh, all y'all's hipster Heisman candidates just took big L's on Saturday. Jordan Davis, Matt Ariza. So, somebody in my Twitter mentions called him Kickerus. He flew too close to the sun. <laughs> I like that. <sighs> oh, oh, man. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, anything else from... Uh, from the day or from the weekend. Okay. So Utah thumping Oregon, Utah's off to the Rose bowl. Do y'all think that Kyle Whittingham's going to retire after the Rose bowl? Is that the rumor? I've heard the rumor like among our West coast guys, but like, I don't know enough about Kyle Whittingham to, to say yes or no. Correct. It was pitched to me as an, if like be on the lookout, if Utah makes the Rose bowl, first ever Rose bowl appearance, first ever PAC 12 championship, then Kyle Whittingham might retire after the season. And then Bronco makes a quick return and is at Utah going up against BYU. Oh, yeah. He is 62. Like, like Whittingham is jacked <laughs> and looks great and should probably just sell wellness products and, and make a lot more money than he did coaching. But like 62 is 62. So he, now I'm, you know, I'm picturing Kyle Whittingham in those testosterone commercials with Frank Thomas and, he, and then just him looking at the camera saying like and she'll hey, too. 
Tom, do you remember what uh, viral video of Kyle Whittingham is like burned in my brain forever? No. He's sitting in a, a university cafeteria. The fire alarm is going off. Everybody else is like fleeing as they should. And Kyle Whittingham's not moving. In fact, he's not, not only not moving, but he's on the phone as he's eating in the middle of a fire alarm in the university cafeteria. Kyle Winningham ain't scared of no fire. He doesn't have time to be marching outside and waiting to get cleared. He has dedicated these 10 minutes to eating his food, and then he's going back to the facility. So he's just going to take care of business right now, probably talking to a, a recruit, telling him, don't worry about that. That's just the fire alarm. And, uh, and that's the kind of just like tough as nails, like you're saying, like, good, healthy body. You just, you, you would never know Kyle Whittingham is uh, 62 years old. We never got a chance to talk about Bronco, by the way. I've got no clue on the backstory on that. I think he was, I think what he said is the backstory. Just, all right, doing this for a long time. I like, that's kind of just what who he is. Like, I mean, he said a long time ago at BYU, he's like, I'm not a lifer. I'm not going to do this forever. And he's done it for the last 31 years. And maybe he'll come back. Maybe he won't. That's just kind of who he is. If he if he doesn't get the job, um, Robert and I put together a, a really, really fun offense this year. It was creative. They, they used like different bodies in, in, in a lot of different ways. They, they attacked vertically down the field. Maybe we should have seen it coming with Bronco being like, guess what? We're going deep, you know, and not not playing like they normally play. I I, I enjoyed watching their team quite a bit this year. They, mm-hmm. they were fun. Before we get out of here, a reminder to keep your eyes on the odds releases on Sunday because what are we doing on Sunday, Tom? Uh, Monday or is it already out? Have you already got fired on it? In my bowl rankings? No, uh, next Saturday. Oh, oh, it's out. It's out? Are it's you already out. in? Yeah, I've got it at 37. It was at, I think it's down to 36 and a half most places now. Or no, it's still at 37 if you look around. So yeah, the Army-Navy under. Get on there quick, kids. Yeah, we want to anything. Drive that thing down for me. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Don't you bring that. Anything above... I don't know. 33. I think it's fair game to go. <laughs> we'll see. Stay tuned. <laughs> but but where would you take that? Like, what, where would you be looking to get it under 35? Basically, like at 34 and a half, you would say, okay, that's that's it. That's enough for me because 21 to 14 would then get me home. Let me let me just plug this in real fast. I mean, it, it's already 1 a.m. So, all right. Army, Navy. Headline, drag. I don't even need the spread right now. Okay, <laughs> adjustment. Oh, if if it's thirty five, I'm betting over, guys. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, it's fine. Not my money. I'll take your winnings. All right. I'm gonna have to look into that. That 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 number that just spit out. Uh, Man, was, don't don't was, bring math to a service academy under. It's not about math. It's about the military and honor and courage and doing what's right, not scoring points. Can we talk about what we're doing? Is it it like classified? The watch party? Yeah. I think so. I mean, the the plan is for us to have a cover three podcast watch party for Army Navy. The plan is, best as I I know, is that it will be right here. So if you are subscribed to the cover three podcast on YouTube, youtube.com slash cover three, it ain't a thing. You know, you smash that bell, you get those notifications, then ba-boom, you're going to all of a sudden be like, hey, what's this? They're going live right now? And it's like, yeah, that's right. We are going to be live, hanging out. We got some special guests. We got some deep dives, some fun topics. Uh, and we will, of course, be watching along with you, uh, you know, America's Game and providing some of our commentary and analysis. We're, we're looking forward to it. And we hope that all of you uh, come and, and hang out for that. Anything Always. else? Always happy to spread the gospel of Service Academy Unders. Always. 
Uh, okay, so order of business. We will be back on Sunday afternoon for an instant reaction to those college football playoff rankings once the official semifinal matchups are set. Uh, give you our, our thoughts on those and whatever sort of decision-making that we get, at least in terms of the selection committee, letting us know what they thought. Again, it sounds like our expectation is that we'll have an Alabama and a Cincinnati, a Georgia and a Michigan, two, three, who knows? We'll see. If there's a major curveball, well, woo, we'll have a lot more to talk about it, and it'll be a little bit less a preview in the semifinals, a little bit more of uh, trying to figure out how in the world the selection committee got to that type of result. That then we will be back on Monday for a pun further review. A pun further review this week will also include a look at the best bowl games because Tom spends 15 hours ranking every damn bowl game. And if he's going to put in that much work to be able to do it, well, we're going to at least bring some of that same content to you right here because we don't want it to, we want to make sure that uh, that gets put to as much use as possible. And so that you can start to make your own holiday calendar and understand where you need to carve out some time to make sure you've got eyes on a television. If Tom's got a bowl game in the top 10 that you weren't paying attention to or that you didn't have on your schedule, well, you probably need to change that. And that's why you want to make sure that you check that out. So bowl rankings, more coaching carousel, uh, all of that for a pun for the review on Monday as usual. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.